At the beginning of this study through the book of Acts, I asked you a question. I said, if today was your last day on earth, what would you do? Who would you speak with, and what would you tell them? One thing I've noticed time and time again is when a person loses someone who is close to them unexpectedly, oftentimes they will say to others, be sure and and hug your loved ones and tell them how much you love them because none of us are promised tomorrow. That's true, isn't it? But though we know deep down that this is true, many of us don't apply this day after day, do we? Well, this morning we're going to look at someone who really did keep this perspective and someone who lived each day as if it were his last because he truly knew that it might be. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 20. We are going to be looking this morning at Paul's final words to the Christians at Ephesus. And something you are going to see is that what Paul did and said to the Ephesians the last time he was with them was not much different than what he always did when he was with them and what he said to them and other believers that he ministered to. We have mentioned this before, but throughout Paul's ministry, we see him doing mainly one of two things. He is either going to a new area with God's gospel to make Christ known where he is not known and to start new churches, or he is returning to existing areas and is using the gospel to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So he's going to either reach the lost or equip the saved. And in the text we're going to look at this morning, we are going to see Paul doing the latter. He is going to meet with the leaders from Ephesus and is going to give them one last lesson on leadership. And he's going to do so by using himself as an example, and he is also going to instruct them to lead the way God has called for them to lead. Now, Before we jump into this text, there's a question we have to answer, and that is, how did Paul get back with the leaders in Ephesus, right? Because we've been learning over the past couple of weeks in here that after having been in Ephesus for three years, Paul left for a time. We learned at the beginning of Acts chapter 20 that after the uproar in Ephesus ceased, Paul said his goodbyes after being with them for three years. He left them and he went through Macedonia and then on to Greece. And he spent three months there and he was getting ready to set sail for Syria, but circumstances forced him to turn back around to change his plans. And so he returned through Macedonia to Philippi and then he set sail for Troas. And at Troas, is where he has this incredible experience where God uses him to heal this man who fell out of the window while Paul was preaching. A guy named Eutychus. We talked about that story last week. And then notice where Paul goes and what he does after this. Look at verse 13. But going ahead to the ship, we set sail for Asus. So notice the we here. 
Luke is writing this book, right? And he is letting us know that he is with them. He is with Paul here. Intending to take Paul aboard there, for so he had arranged, intending himself to go by land. And when he met us at Asus, we took him on board and went to Mytilene. And after sailing from there, we came the following day opposite Chios. The next day we touched at Samos. And the day after that, we went to Miletus. For Paul had decided to set sail, he had decided to sail past Ephesus so that he might not have to spend time in Asia for he was hastening to be at Jerusalem if possible on the day of Pentecost so let's take a look once again on the map at Paul's third missionary journey notice he starts at Antioch and he goes through the area of Galatia first he did that on on all three mission trips and then he goes to Ephesus And from Ephesus, he goes up through Macedonia around to Greece. And he wanted to set sail from Greece to Syria, but he could not. So he turned back around. Notice the the black blocks there. He goes back around, back through Macedonia, all the way around to Philippi. And then he set sail from there to Troas. And from Troas, he goes from there around past Ephesus. And we're told that he bypassed the city. And the reason why he bypassed Ephesus is because Paul had a difficult time leaving Ephesus once he got there. They did not want him to go. And he was in a hurry to get to Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. So instead, he goes to Miletus. That's the white circle there. Do you see that? He goes to Miletus, which is near Ephesus. And he calls the leaders, the elders, from the church at Ephesus to meet him at Miletus. He wants to talk to them one last time before leaving them for good. Look at verse 17. Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. In verses 18 through 38, Paul gives them this wonderful message on Leadership, And that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're going to look at Paul's final address to the leaders of this great church. And this is a great passage on leadership. And I've divided this passage up into two main parts. I want you to first notice Paul's example for leaders. And then I want you to see Paul's instruction for leaders, his example and then his instruction. And get this, though he is speaking to the elders of this church, which means this passage certainly applies to myself and the other elders here at Fellowship Bible Church, this passage and the principles we can draw out from here is really good for all of us as believers because all of us as believers we have been called to make disciples haven't we we have all been called to shepherd people whether it be our spouse in the home or our kids or new believers that God has brought into our lives so this passage though it speaks directly to elders it is a passage for all of us as believers. So let's begin by looking first at Paul's example for leaders. Paul in this passage, as 
he does in so many of his letters. He not only calls for God's people to live a certain way, but he puts himself forward as an example of how a spirit-led, spirit-filled, Christ-like life is to look. And notice the first thing we learn from Paul's example. Number one, we learn that Christian leaders are to be selfless. Christian leaders are to be selfless. We learn that from Paul. Look at verses 18 and 19. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility. He also says in verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Paul was driven by his calling and by this desire to bring glory to God and to be faithful to Christ in ministry. And Paul was also driven by his heart for people and his desire to see them come to Christ and grow in godliness and to live a life that is honoring to God by serving God in his church. And like we learned over the past few weeks and the past two passages we've looked at, we see the reason that Paul had such a heart for people is because Paul had a heart for God who has a heart for people. Paul loved Christ's church, get this, because he loved Christ who loves his church. And for these reasons, Paul says, I serve you selflessly. I serve you in humility. He says, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself. His main concern, Paul's main concern in ministry was to finish this race that he had been called to and the ministry that Christ had appointed him to do. We've said this before, and we'll say it again and again as we continue to study through the Word of God. Paul was not all about Paul, was he? Paul was about Christ. He was about the ministry that Christ had called him to. He was about Christ's church. He was about God's people. Believers, how do you feel about Christ? How do you feel about this ministry that he's called you to? How do you feel about his church? How do you feel about God's people? Listen, how you answer those questions will reveal a whole lot about where you are spiritually. It's true. The more we become like Christ, the more our life is hid in Christ's life. And the more our life is hid in Christ's life, the more our affections are going to be stirred for Christ's church because Christ's affections are stirred for his church. You see how that works? Very important. Paul's life was hid in Christ. Therefore, he loved God's people. His affections were stirred toward Christ's church because God loves his people and Christ's affections are stirred for his people, for his church. 
So Christian leaders are to be selfless. Second, we learn from Paul that Christian leaders are to have a heart for ministry and a heart for people. Continuing with this, look at verse 19 and then skip down and look at verse 31. Paul says, serving the Lord with tears, verse 19. Verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Paul was emotionally invested in the ministry and in God's people. He didn't just go through the motions. He didn't just do it because it was his job. He didn't do it to get a paycheck twice a month. In fact, we'll learn in a minute that at times he didn't receive any sort of compensation in ministry from certain churches so as not to burden the church. He loved those he ministered to. He invested in them, and he did it because he wanted to. Because he wanted to see people who didn't know Christ come to know Christ and live their lives for God. And in verse 20, Luke tells us that Paul ministered from house to house. Paul says that. What a word that is for me and for our elders and for our people here at Fellowship. I think at times, if we're honest, we would have to admit, though we, we do serve others, we do so solely out of obligation. And though it's good to understand that there are certain things that God has called for us to do and we are to live under God's authority as his kingdom people. Listen, we're to grow in our relationship with the Lord. We're to fall more and more in love with him so that we will fall more and more in love with his people so that serving then becomes serving out of a desire for others and out of a love for others rather than simply an obligation. We're to have a heart for ministry. We're to have a heart for people. Third, Paul shows us by his example that Christian leaders are to be willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. We've talked about this quite a bit already in this study, and the reason why is because we've seen Christ's disciples example this all throughout the book of Acts. We especially see this in Paul's ministry. Look at verse 19. Serving the Lord, not only with all humility and with tears, but with trials, he says, that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. Look at verses 22 and 23. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. Wow. So we've said through this study, when we are faithful to do what God has called for us to do, whenever we're faithful to love and serve Christ by loving and serving his church, the enemy is not going to like it. And the enemy is going to push back. And unfortunately, one of the main groups the enemy uses to do this work in the early church is the Jewish religious leaders. And Paul knew about this opposition all too well because that's his background, right? He at one time was one of the greatest enemies of the church. But after Christ got a hold of his life and changed him from the inside out, Paul was never the same in the best way. And remember, as Paul is being commissioned, we're told the Lord explained to Paul how much he must suffer 
for the sake of his name. Paul knew that suffering for Christ was a part of serving Christ. And he was willing to make that sacrifice over and over again. And the question we need to ask ourselves is this, are are we willing, if it be God's will, to suffer in our service for him? What, What are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ? Are you willing, if it be God's will, to lay it all down? Paul was, and Paul did. He was willing to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Number four, we learn from Paul's example that Christian leaders are to minister without prejudice. We've talked about this quite a bit as well. Look at verse 21. Testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, it did not matter the person Paul ministered without prejudice. He took the gospel to both the Jews and the Greeks. To the Jews, he became like a Jew in order to win the Jews. To the non-Jews, he became like a non-Jew in order to win the non-Jews. He became all things to all men without compromising himself morally for the sake of Christ and his gospel. Now, today we don't think much about Paul ministering to Jews and Gentiles. That's not a big deal for us today. But believe me when I say in this day, it was a huge deal. In the first century, Jews did not care for Gentiles in the least bit. And believe me when I say the feelings were mutual. I read a while back, there were some Jews in that day who believed that God created Gentiles for fuel to use in hell. How about that? The Jews believed that they were the ones who were loved and favored by God and all other nations were hated and condemned. They they completely missed Genesis 12, didn't they? I imagine that before salvation, Paul, a Hebrew of Hebrews, felt the exact same way. But God had changed him. He had encountered the risen Christ. He had been transformed from the inside out. And guess, guess what? He was commissioned by him to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And as Paul continued to serve them, and as he grew in his love toward Christ, he grew in his love toward them. To such an extent that he loved them as much, if not more so, than the Jews. He ministered without prejudice. And it's so important, believers, that we do the same. There are so many unnecessary barriers in place today because of prejudices in ministry. Folks, I think, hopefully, most of us would agree in here that God does not discriminate, right? We're told that clearly in the scripture, that he does not show favoritism. Jesus, he also exampled this for us. He ministered to Samaritans and Gentiles, to tax collectors and sinners. If this is true of God and exampled by Jesus and by Paul and by others, why should we be any different? We shouldn't be, should we? To lead in a way that honors God, we have to let prejudices that we have based upon race and social status, whatever else, age, gender, we have to let those things die so that this gospel, the gospel 
of the Lord Jesus, the message of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus Christ can thrive. We must faithfully proclaim that this gospel message is for all peoples of all kinds everywhere. Very, very important. Next point. We learned from Paul's example that Christian leaders are not to let a love for money hinder the advancement of God's gospel. Skip on down to verse 33 and look at 33 through 35. Paul says, I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Great passage. We've said this already. Paul went out of his way, though, to support himself in ministry. He worked bivocationally as a tent maker, and though other believers took up offerings, love offerings to give to Paul, Paul went out of his way to not take much from the church. Instead, he gave what he had to help the weak. And when he did take up a collection from one church, it was just to give it to another church. Now, why did Paul do this? Because it's not good for ministers to be paid? I did some study on this this week. Is that why? No. No, and I can tell you that from Scripture, not just from personal preference, all right? 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says that it's good for a minister to be supported financially. But Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 9 and here in Acts 20 that he waived his right. He did not take money from the believers in Corinth and in Ephesus. And the reason why is because though he made it clear that he had a right to be paid in his services to them, he waived that right And the reason why is because he's doing pioneer ministry in these areas. He's going into areas where there are no believers and no churches. And he was concerned that if a little while after the church was established, he started asking for money, non-believers in these cities would question his motives and that would hinder the spread of the gospel. So Paul waves his right to be compensated and supports himself in another way way. Luke also shows us here in Acts chapter 20 that Paul did this as an example for the leaders in Ephesus to remind them that a paycheck must never be one's priority in ministry. Though we need to make sure that our families are taken care of as full-time ministers, our calling in ministry is to put others before ourselves and not give in order to get but to give in order to give out of a love for Christ and out of a love for his church and this is such a very important lesson for us as leaders and as a church because I think it's safe to say that the love of money and pursuit of money in ministry has done more to hurt the gospel than it has to help the gospel would you agree with that we've seen that we're seeing that Well, one last thing, one very, very important thing we learned from Paul's example is that Christian leaders are to declare the whole counsel of God. 
Look back up in verses 25 through 27. Paul says, And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Again, this is Paul's last time to be with the leaders in Ephesus. Verse 26, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all. Wow, what a statement. Now, now how could Paul make this statement with confidence? Look at verse 27. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Now, remember a few weeks ago, we said that, that Paul was with the Ephesians for several years. And we learn in Acts chapter 19 that during his three years there, he not only saturated all of Ephesus, but all of Asia with the gospel of the Lord Jesus. We're told that as a result of Paul's ministry in Asia, Acts 19 verse 10, all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. In just three years in this area, Paul had saturated the area. He had filled this region with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice what he says in verse 27 about the message that he shared. He said, I declare to you the whole counsel of God. He shared all of God's word. Not only did he share the popular doctrines, but he also shared the controversial ones. He says, I did not shrink, I did not crumble under the pressure, but was faithful to share with you all of God's word. Every point from his gospel, not just the points of God's mercy and grace, but also man's sin and God's judgment, all of it. He was faithful to share the words of God that God had given him, and he left the results in God's hands. And we learn that at times this message brought people together from completely different backgrounds. It brought Jew and Gentile together, but this message also polarized people as well. Separated friends and family, stirred up riots, resulted in violence. That happened in Ephesus, didn't it? But Paul remained faithful to the message, and that's what we're called to do as well, believers. The temptation in our world today is to shy away from parts of God's word that offend. Many leaders are doing it. To avoid conflict in their society, by the media, to avoid conflict with people, to bring more people into the church. What they do is they highlight the popular doctrines and they avoid the controversial ones. They allow public opinion to shape the way in which they interpret Scripture and the way in which they share it. May that never be said of us, Fellowship Bible. Can I underline that, church? May that not be said of us. We must avoid the temptation as leaders and teachers in the church. You must avoid the temptation as Christian leaders in your home to water down the message of the gospel. Can't compromise on this. Christian leaders are to declare the whole counsel of God. We learned that from Paul's example. So we've looked at Paul's example for leaders. Now let's talk quickly about Paul's instruction. 
for leaders. After putting himself forward as a great example for godly leadership, Paul then transitions into instructing the leaders at Ephesus. And he essentially tells them three things. First, he says, be on guard for yourselves. Be on guard for yourselves. Leaders must guard themselves. Look at verse 28. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves. What a great word for us as elders. Again, this is a a word for all of us, but especially those of us in leadership in the church. Paul is, is saying here, guard yourselves, leaders, elders, first of all. Guard your hearts, guard your minds. You need to be on guard. Why? For the sake of those in your care. Husbands, fathers. This goes for you. Mothers, it's Mother's Day. Great message for you this morning. This applies to you. Teachers, Bible study leaders, worship leaders, those who stand up here and lead us in worship Sunday after Sunday, this goes for you. Are you in the Word? Are you feeding yourselves? Are you reading God's Word, studying God's Word, meditating upon God's Word, memorizing God's Word, sharing God's Word with others? Are you devoting yourselves to prayer? Are you starting your day on your knees, expressing your desperate need of God's grace? Are you leading your family well? Here's a question for you. Would you be happy if your kids grew up to be just like you. How about this one? This stings even a bit deeper. Would it be honoring and glorifying to God for them to be imitators of you because you're an imitator of him? We need to be asking ourselves these questions. To lead in a way that honors God, we must first take care of ourselves spiritually. We must guard Ourselves, We must be on guard for ourselves. Look at what else he says. Number two, take care of the flock of God. Look at verse 28. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God which he obtained with his own blood. Church is important to God, isn't it? Again, notice Paul is speaking to the elders here, the shepherds of the flock, but this applies to us all as well. It's to be exampled from the top down, but we're all called to care for one another. Notice the word all. All means all here. We are to care for all the flock, not just the ones like us, not just the ones we like. Not just those in our immediate family, though they are our first priority, but all the flock, those who are different from us in almost every way, those who are difficult to love, those who are wayward, those who are struggling in ways we're not. We are to shepherd all the flock of God. And elders, it begins with us. But it definitely does not end with us. Believers, we are all called to this ministry and we all have people that God has put in our lives for this reason, to pour into them and to shepherd them. We're to care for, we're to shepherd the flock of God. And lastly, very, very important, we're to be on guard against the enemy. Be on guard against the enemy. Look at verse 29 and 30. This is a scary passage. Paul says, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. 
And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So here Paul tells the leaders in Ephesus what we have seen all throughout the book of Acts. And it is that God's people have a real enemy who is always at work trying to rip the church apart. And at times, he tries to rip the church apart from the outside through persecution. But other times, he weasels his way in. He works through infiltration like a fierce wolf among the sheep and tries to rip the church apart from the inside out. That's what Paul is warning these leaders against here. Satan's no dummy. He's crafty. He's not going to come in obvious ways. He's going to come in to the church through men that seem as if they're legit and women who seem as if they are the real deal. And he may speak some truth through them to get his hooks into the congregants to lead them astray. It has happened, and it's happening today. Paul is warning these leaders and us, his greater audience here, about this so that we can be on guard so that we will remain on our knees and in God's word and dependent upon his spirit for discernment so that we can sniff out these schemes and protect the church. It's important for us to remember this today. It's so very important. Things have, have not changed. Our enemy is alive and well today. He's doing the exact same kind of work. Believers, church, we have a real enemy who will stop at nothing to destroy your homes and destroy God's kingdom work and destroy this church. So we have to be on our knees in his word with his people and dependent upon his Holy Spirit. We have to be alert. Look at verse 31. Therefore, be alert. Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. He's calling for them to remember how he instructed them when he was with them so that they will remain strong in the faith. Look at verse 32. And how I commend you to God, and now I commend you to God, and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. So he says here, he's getting ready to leave them, and he says, I commend you, I give you to God and to the word of his grace. He gives them to God, and here he is calling for them to stand up with those who are being sanctified, up under the word, so that they can stand strong together against the attacks of the enemy. Listen, when Christian leaders cherish God's word and study God's word and teach God's word and stand up together with others who are being sanctified up under God's word. God's people are built up and they're equipped to stand strong in the power of the Holy Spirit against the enemy. That's what I pray for here. That needs to be happening here. It's happening here. It needs to happen more and more. Well, after Paul gives this great address to the leaders at Ephesus in Miletus. Look at what happens. Look at verses 36 through 38. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. 
and there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken that they would not see his face again, and they accompanied him to the ship. They were sad to see Paul go. They were probably also overwhelmed at the words he had just given them. But you know and I know they're not alone, are they? Though Paul is leaving them, God is in their midst. He's doing an incredible work in and through them, and he continues to. But it was a sad time for this church to see Paul. They had seen great things that God had done through Paul in their midst, and now he was leaving them. And I'm sure it was bittersweet for Paul, too. He was upset to to leave his friends in Ephesus, but it was also sweet to see the great work that God was doing, had done in and through them. Well, to close out this chapter, let me end by saying this. I want to draw your attention once again to Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Notice once again, after telling the leaders in Ephesus to pay careful attention to themselves and to all the flock, Paul reminds them that the Holy Spirit is the one who has made them elders. How about that? They weren't just appointed by Paul and by the church. They were appointed by the Holy Spirit to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. The church is so very, very important to God, isn't it? So important that the Holy Spirit appoints the leaders of the church and the Son of God laid down his life, shed his blood for her. Listen, if God has done this for the church, shouldn't we as elders, shouldn't we as believers, shouldn't we as members of his church live to serve and shepherd the people in the church? Shouldn't we love the church? Shouldn't we be committed to the church in this way? Shouldn't we be loving the church in this way? Maybe you're here this morning and you want to make that kind of commitment. You want to be used by Christ in his church. You want to love Christ and live for him and live for his people. Well, let's start at the beginning. First things first, let me ask you this. Have you benefited from Christ's sacrifice? Have you laid hold of the person and the work of Jesus Christ? Have you been bought? Have you been washed in his blood? Have you been rescued from your sin and your desperate state? Have you been restored to the heavenly Father through faith alone in Christ alone? If not, that's where it begins. And I pray if you're here this morning and you have not, I pray this morning you would see your sin You would hate your sin, you would forsake your sin, you would look to Christ, you would love him, and you would personally trust in his person and in his work alone for your salvation so that you can be saved, so that you can move on to grow in your love for God and your love for his people and serve him in this church. I pray if you've never made that decision that you begin this morning by making that decision. Would you pray with me?